Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number four of the Convos podcast, where we have conversations on a variety of subjects. I'm your host, Matt McNaughton. I'm here with my good friends and somewhat part-time co-host, pushing full-time at this point. I'm here with Ben Beck. Ben, how, how are you doing today? Pretty good, pretty good. All right, so do you, you have a good 4th of July weekend? Yeah, I mean, I slept through the fireworks, so I think that's a win. It was, you could tell no one was going out because it was, the sky was lit up with fireworks over at my house. That's why I have blackout curtains. Okay, so today we're going to talk about a subject that I am not very familiar with. Well, I am familiar with the subject at hand, but not in its full context. I'm entering into a world that is not mine. We're going to talk about Broadway music. I already feel like I've said that wrong. So I am, <laughs> I am sports oriented. I've never been to a play or a Broadway show on my own desire, unless it was a high school field trip where they made me go, all right? That's my experience in the Broadway world. Your experience is a little different. So give us like a brief overview of your musical background in this particular field. Yeah, so um, I grew up in a small town, but for what it was worth, we actually had a pretty good fine arts program. Um, and so even though it was still high school quality, like we really did put on some really good shows. So when I was 13, um, I had started playing piano at eight. And at 13, I got asked to play as part of the piano orchestra for the high school's production of Peter Pan. Um, and that show, the, the, what I did in that show was really kind of unique for me because it was like the sound effects. So I was like the sound of the wind blowing open the door when Peter flies through. And then I was the voice of Tinkerbell, which is actually a written out part, um, which is really interesting. And, and so anyway, it was just this really, really like magical thing that happened. And from that point, I've probably been a part of a production or, or I've probably done two to three productions a year since I was 13. Um, at this point, I do it professionally now, um, music direct, uh, play in the pit. Um, I've directed a little bit. Um, of, of community theater and a little bit of regional theater. So I'm not necessarily Broadway level, but as far as knowledge of different shows and, and how theaters work and working at different theaters, it's been a part of my life for most of my life. You have more knowledge of the musical arts in your pinky toe than I do at all. So, I, But you play clarinet, right? I, oh, I did for <laughs> two years because my dad made me and I can play four chords on the guitar and that's about it. I tried playing piano once, but it wasn't me, but most of my life was spent around and still is a fascination with sports. So today we're going to talk about Hamilton. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about opening day of baseball, and I'm going to return the favor, which you know more about baseball than I know about Broadway, so you're at an advantage here. So 
we're going to talk about the Hamilton. arts expand your life more than sports. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. So here's why I want to talk about Hamilton. All right. For two reasons. One, it's a cultural phenomenon that's taking place. It was just released on um, July 4th weekend on Disney Plus, and it, it's been made available to a larger crowd, a larger audience than just on Broadway or in a um, musical district. So lots more people, not even fans of Broadway, are watching it, like myself. Second reason I want to talk about it is because I just read the book that the show is based on. It's Alexander Hamilton by Ron Chernow. It's an incredible book. Um, I listened to it on Audible. It took me about four months. It's a big one and um, just a great book. I love the story. And I finished the book Friday morning, July 3rd, as I was mowing my grass and I watched Hamilton later that afternoon. So it was very fresh in my mind. So unlike everybody else, I read the book first before I watched the film. So, so you would say you were in the room where it happened? I am. Uh, <laughs> well done. Well done. So um, I don't want to miss my shot and take the opportunity and let's talk about Hamilton. Okay. So give us a brief historical or, or, or a brief, the, the, a brief description of how the show was created, who created it the important facts of the show to help us set the context of the conversation. Yeah, so Lin-Manuel Miranda, who people might recognize that name from, he had done In the Heights a few years before Hamilton, um, which was sort of his big breakout moment. Um, he had also done some of the music for Moana. Um, he's also in the Mary Poppins, the newer Mary Poppins movie. I don't remember what it's called. But anyway, he's a, he's a, a, a current face in, in the music world. Um, he had read or started reading the book and just in his mind saw how well it could be adapted into a stage play. Yeah. And over the course of several years, he worked with the author of that biography um, in developing the show. What's really interesting is that he is, he wrote the book, he wrote the lyrics, he wrote the music, which on Broadway, that is very much not the norm. Um, I which is incredible. Exactly right. Incredible. Yeah, usually, usually you have a lyricist um, and a composer and a person who's writing the book. Sometimes the composer and the lyricist are the same, or a lot of times there's lots of like famous Broadway duos: Rodgers and Hammerstein, um, Lerner and Lowe, um, Aaron's and Flaherty. Right. We have there's some of these people that creatively have worked together on a lot of different projects. But as far as shows that have been like solely or 99% or, or the work of one person. You've got like Jonathan Larson who did Rent. Um, you've got uh, Rupert Holmes who did Mystery of Redwin Drood, which is based off of a Mark Twain book that was never finished. Um, there's probably a couple of more. I think maybe Meredith Andrews, a couple of those projects were, were one person. But it's Mel Brooks, is, which again, Mel Brooks is just a, a, an incredible force in, in the arts world. But that's, I mean, what, five, six at the most? Yeah. When you think about how many different shows there are, it's, it's an incredible feat. Because that's when, as I'm preparing to watch the, the, the film adaption, I was blown away when I found out that he wrote all the music for it. I, I mean, it's incredible. And how, so I text you, I'm seven minutes into this. 
we're we're just I'm out of the scene where Lynn Manuel comes out and just says, "My name is Alexander Hamilton." I'm after that song, and it segues right into another song. And I, I text you and I said, "Is this thing the? Is it all singing?" Because I was not prepared for that. I was fully expecting some dialogue, and I knew right away I've gotten into something I didn't expect. So I go into this film. I'm only interested into it in it because I've just read the book. And it's also extremely popular. I am not at all excited about listening to music for two hours and 40 minutes. Like I was not prepared for that physically, mentally, emotionally, all of it. But after about 15 minutes, I was hooked because the, and knowing that he wrote the lyrics to it and how it told the story of Alexander Hamilton in a way that you get the whole narrative was incredible absolutely incredible and i was i was mesmerized mesmerized yeah so this the story if you're not familiar with this it's a true story most of this show is based on historical facts alexander hamilton is a founding father um, he was born in the caribbean or caribbean depend on how you pronounce that um, he leaves heads to king's college and he's an orphan. So his father left young age, mother died when he was young. He's got some brothers, but doesn't really know them. So he doesn't have a family and falls in love with the idea of freedom and the revolution. Um, becomes a founding father, works alongside Washington, becomes um, Washington's, the first secretary of the treasury, ends up being on our $10 bill, helps establish the a lot of the principles of our country and he ends up dying in a duel with Aaron Burr so just an incredible fascinating story of his his life okay so you saw the show in person yes yeah Not with this I, cast but you saw it on Broadway right yeah I went up uh, a couple summers ago with a group of friends and we went and saw Waitress and Hamilton um, but I don't think anyone from the original cast at that point was still playing. Uh, not that it matters, but um, do you think? I had, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say I had listened to the original Broadway cast recording when it came out, and like I enjoyed it, but I was like, meh. Like I get it, but it's just not. I I get it, and I don't like. I understand why people like it or whatever. But then after seeing it, I was like, okay. So I understand the hype now from people who have seen it. Like, I still don't think the cast recording is everything people made it out to be, although, I mean, it did have a lot of success, but seeing it makes a huge difference. Do you think the film adaption captures the magic, I guess, for lack of a better word? Of the oh, show? yeah. I mean, yeah, it's interesting. It's always nice to have a, a film stage version. Um, the one thing that I noticed right away is which when I went back and looked up some information after it made a lot of sense like because you hear the audience clapping and and laughing a little bit and doing different things having reactions but when Lin-Manuel comes out there's no way the audience didn't erupt which yeah. I figured out later I was like oh they did some filming without an audience so that and then just kind of spliced it together um, which makes a whole lot of sense but as far as I mean, it's it's neat watching a filmed version because you get to see 
things from different vantage points. Whereas when you go to see it live in person, it's your seat, you know, and you get to see that all being said with a show like Hamilton, you're not really missing much because the set is always so open and there's not like, you know, there's not sightline issues that play into the experience as a live audience member. What I think really, again, I am no expert by any means, but what I would, what I think really made the story just come to life was the lighting and the musical score. So it's all hip hop. So, I mean, how it just moved the story along without hardly any dialogue. There's a lot, some spoken word. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of dialogue, like, between Philip and the two girls as he's... Yeah. Um, yeah, there, there's, a, there's a handful of, of little tiny scenes. But, yeah, there's not any total stop of music or stop for a long conversation. Right, because there's a scene at, towards the end where you have Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton. It's just they're sitting there with lighting made to be appear to be in different locations in different rooms. And there's it looks like a dividing wall between them. And they really capture the tension between those two characters. Well, and then the use of the ensemble, um, when you go back and watch it again, like there's really specific roles of the ensemble. And it's never named out loud to the audience. But like, for example, the girl, um, I don't know how to describe her. She's the one that takes the bullets across. Oh, yeah. So yeah. she, her character, I don't remember the exact name, but she's basically death because she's the first person you see die at the very beginning of the show. The first death on stage is her. She's the one that flirts with Philip right before he goes to the duel. She's the one that takes the bullets. Like She's like doing the death things throughout the whole show. Oh, see, that's fascinating. Right, and, and so knowing that now will change the way you look at it, but that's how well-crafted the whole show is. And that's why the storytelling is so tight because it's mm. every little detail has been thought through. Yeah. Yeah. What was your favorite musical score? Um, oh, the, the, the end of act one where all the different themes are coming back in right before he's, you know, there's, Eliza and Angelica are coming back on. I'm not going to lose my shot, right? Look where we're coming from. Like, all, that no. that way that he's written that sort of stereo... It's a very stereotypical thing in musicals. You think, like, the um, it's like the quintet in My yeah. Story or those moments where it's all the different ideas are all coming together, culminating in the decision that he makes. And how he interwove inter all the different musical lyrics into parts of the story like at the end when you're hitting those um um just those di the different titles of the songs um i don't know how to say goodbye and it's just teach me to say goodbye or whatever it is it's incredible okay so the last song of the last of the first act uh, yeah i think if, I, if i'm thinking of the right part yeah it's 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 i mean because it's a long sequence yeah because you don't like you don't expect it's because it, it's coming out of it comes out of Angelica I think where she's recounting the first encounter with Hamilton after Hamilton and Eliza get married mm. and then it just yeah. like it just keeps going and developing from there and then sort of just explodes yeah I have two I can't decide which one I like better and I went back and watched both of them because I'm not sure I can't decide if I like 
all of King George III's <laughs> singing or Thomas Jefferson when he comes back from France because both the, the, the lyrics of the music are just great. But then both of those actors captured what I think those, the personalities of those historical men. Like I see King George III being a little bit of a whiny brat who thinks he's just very pompous, very, uh, thinks he's just great. And then that's how that, uh, the character, the actor that portrayed King George just did a great job. And then Thomas Jefferson um, coming back from France, just thinking he's the king of the world. That's a, probably a poor phrase to use during the revolutionary period. But, and then being interrupted by Alexander Hamilton and how much Hamilton had a, um, his thumb on everything in Washington's cabinet because that's a major part of Ron Chernow's book is that relationship between Hamilton and Jefferson. So I think I enjoyed the second act more than the first, mainly because that was my favorite part of the book, especially when you get into the, the sex scandal with Mariah Reynolds and um, leading up to the, the duel between Aaron Burr. What, what were some things you learned about history that you did not know? So oh, not can I go back? Book. Oh, go can back. I go back one? So would you like your mind to be blown a little bit? Okay. Do you know what Disney character King Philip or King George was? That actor? No, I'm not even going to try to guess. <laughs> He's Kristoff. From, from Frozen? Yep, Jonathan Groff. Oh, I only know that because of my children. Man, he was so good. Just how he comes out. Cause, and going back to the lighting elements, when he says he's very blue and he stomps his foot and the light turns to blue. Like that was, uh, the humor throughout the show too was well done. Yeah, I mean, it has to be because it's such a heavy subject yeah. without it. And there, so there has to be a good balance. Even the first dialogue between Hamilton and Burr is humorous. Well, I think a lot of the dialogue between them is, is, is humorous on one side or the other. Yeah. What did you learn from a historical perspective? Or what are your questions from the history side of it? Because I've had questions from the Broadway, like, who's the guy down there waving his hands? So where does the music come from? It's underneath the stage. My other question that I had for you was, why does um, Leslie Odom Jr., I believe, is who played Aaron Burr? Yeah. Why does he have a mic and no one else does? And then I found out it's in their hair. That I didn't believe you. I had to go back and look at it. And there it is, plain, <laughs> plain as day. There is a mic at the top of their hairline. I'm like, fascinating. So I would like one of those for when I preach. Just one of those mics that just oh, dangles yeah. above, my, above yeah. my forehead. We can do that. That's not I, have a to use it, I have to use it now since I may not have a hairline soon. So. Anyways, so what did you learn is, uh, from? You're not gonna throw away your shot. I'm not. I gotta take it. <laughs> take my opportunity because I'll have to learn how to say goodbye to my hairline soon. So, uh, so what did you learn from a historical aspect of it? Um, well, because I've got to think back again. It's not the first time I've experienced the show, but um, something that struck me when I watched it most recently was how. 
the musical sort of fast forwards through it because it is Hamilton, but just how much Eliza played a role in after Hamilton's death as far as like the things that she was setting up and, and that whole end sequence. But as we were talking before, you were saying that she was, she played an even bigger role than the musical gives credit for. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it's, um, that relationship between Hamilton and Eliza, it, it's, it, it's picked up. I think they do it well in the, in the, the show, but you really see their, um, the last song by Eliza, just how that legacy of Hamilton lives on and taking, because her name, she's married to Alexander Hamilton and, and the things she was able to accomplish that are still living on today, like the Washington Monument and how she, um, I think actually that might be mentioned in the, one of the lyrics. Um, it is, yeah, she talks the, about the Washington Monument. She talks about the first orphanage. Yeah, the orphanage was a big deal. And it's even, um, it's changed names, but it's still carried on now. Um, the first privately owned orphanage in our country, I believe. She was a, a woman of faith. That's not really picked up in the show, but how Alexander Hamilton even writing to her, his last letter draws on, like, I know the creator of the universe will guide you through this if something were to happen to him. So he was, was very much in appreciation of her faith. And you see that throughout and how she was forgiving. Um, and how so much he, he wrote that before he went to the duel? Is that yeah, he, he wrote a letter to her before the duel. I think it was common practice. You write a letter just in case. Mm -hmm. And I believe it was given to your second, the one that was trying to, to negotiate to end the duel, which um, you can learn in the song, the 10 dual commandments. So um, it's fascinating how they, how they even talked about that because that was such a big deal. Cause there was a lot of, um, should we do this? Should we not do this? Is it a big deal? And really you never were supposed to shoot anybody. You were the coward if you shot someone. So Philip dying, Philip Hamilton, Alexander's son dying from in a duel and Alexander Hamilton dying in a duel just showed the um, integrity that they had because they did not fire at their opponents, which was not you're supposed to fire in the air or clear enough away where they didn't know it was happening. There was a lot of other historical aspects that were just, that were great. Um, how Alexander Hamilton really struggled um, being an orphan. Like that was a big part of his identity. So there's a dialogue between Hamilton and George Washington in the show where Washington says, you know, do this son. And Hamilton says, I'm not your son. Like he started getting this identity that he was like Washington's son. And he did not like that because he, um, but ended up being more of a companionship there. So I, I really liked how the show picked up on Hamilton's struggle with being an orphan. I really think the epilogue of the show with um, Eliza and how she, you know, it becomes his champion after his death and she starts doing all these things that I didn't realize were, you know, between the first orphanage and um, the Washington Monument and all these things, like, I didn't know that at all. 
and that that came from from Alexander Hamilton by proxy yeah. because of Eliza's efforts for his legacy. Yeah, she was really committed to carrying on his legacy throughout the rest of her life. I mean, she lived, he died in his late 40s, and she lived until she was 97, which is really unheard of at the time. So she was able to help people connect to him who weren't even born at the time and, and help that legacy live on. And really that the, the founding father figure that he is and really elevate it. Um, so much so that after, she, after Hamilton had died, she would sit with, I believe every president after Washington. So Adams, Jefferson, um, Madison, Monroe, I mean, they would all come and visit her and sit with her. Even, I think it's Fillmore, President Fillmore, who came in not knowing much of the, the revolutionary time period and being very young at the time, wanted to hear the stories of the founding fathers and that relationship between Hamilton and, and, and Washington. So Eliza became this figure that that connected people to our founding fathers in the early part of our country and the stories that she could tell. So I, I liked how they ended that the show and how they connected that throughout the entire entire play about your legacy. I, I can't remember the name of the song that how they remember me. Mm -hmm. That was that was what Burr really wanted. And then he's after he's he shoots Hamilton, he, he even says, now I'm known as the guy that shot Hamilton. That's what I'm known for. He wanted to be, he didn't see the world big enough for the two of them. Um, and then you see how Jefferson and Madison, Monroe, and even how they changed their, their perspective on who Hamilton was. And Eliza helped carry that for several decades after his death which is incredible again the musical i imagine plays it up a little more than maybe real life but you think about the betrayal you know the whole burn scene and how you know did she actually is there an account that she destroyed any of her own stuff or is that something that was like spiced up for the music i'm not sure i can't i can't remember because that 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 storyline is probably my favorite storyline of the of the book where he has this, he's conned into this affair and they touch on in the play, they touch on it a little bit of just how part of that blackmail was you, a cabinet member of our government slept with a prostitute because you paid her like the way that transaction happens and how it's framed is here. You have, Mariah Reynolds, who is in financial ruin and the story that she fabricates. So he gives her money and then ends up sleeping with her is and how they had held that over him for so, for so long and how it, it, it really did hurt Eliza, but Hamilton really tried to move on from that and repair that relationship. Even well, and that's such a powerful scene song in the show is there his his 
fighting to get the relationship back. Right. I mean, that was a part that even I had kind of forgotten that that happened. Like I knew the overarching story, but then that moment when it, when I saw it again, I was like really moved because it's such a, such a huge act of forgiveness from history either says he's a, he was very promiscuous, but other accounts say he was not, I think he was maybe as he was younger. Um, I, I liked how the, the play portrayed his relationship with Angelica um, because there was some flirtatious writing, but I, I don't know if it, it was as dramatized as the play made it out to be. Because right. Well, when, which again, from a, from a musical perspective, it's so interesting for her to come back and he thinks that she's coming back to support him. She's like, no, I'm here for my sister. Yeah. You know, so to set that up from a storytelling perspective is great, but real life. Yeah, because she was, but when she met Hamilton, she was already married. So that, oh. it wasn't a, he picked Eliza over Angelica. She was already married at the time, but That's they became close friends and confidants. Um, so what, what Ron Chernow, the author of the book, states is a lot he Hamilton always wanted a companion um and he found that in Eliza but then in Mariah Reynolds he found that um I forget how he words it where it, it it's more it's not the companion side it's that the forbidden side of a relationship and well it's the it's the impetus of the like you'll never be satisfied right that lyric yeah, that, yeah. that whole concept right right yeah so from a historical perspective they they did a really good job um aaron burr that relationship though isn't as grand as it is in the play like they're not they're not competing enemies their whole lives like it, it's more they're not they're acquaintances they know of one another but they're not there's not that back and forth like you see in the play mm. it, it's more that relationship's known more for how Hamilton really took down Burr at the ends and how Burr was very frustrated so and he was vice president which crazy is Burr was vice president of the United States at the time of the duel and he was removed from office because of the duel jefferson was angry about it and because he shot oh, him so right. um and there's that whole account of how he he even said like hey he he wore his glasses so he's aiming to shoot at me he he's ready but they already the way the duels worked was fascinating because it doesn't it's not what we think of a duel. It's very, it was very gentlemanly. You go, you have this duel, you fire in the air, and then it's over and you're, it's peaceful again. You never, you weren't supposed to fire at someone. And they were starting to, Hamilton hated them and only did it because it's just part of the culture. Part of the culture and didn't think it would amount to anything, but there's always this, well, I could get shot, you know? So I did, I did like how the ending of it was very dramatic when it comes down to that. 
because you do wonder, I think Hamilton, um, he may run for president, but I don't, th I think the affair looms large over his life too much for him to run. Um, so yeah, Burr wasn't as much of a protagonist as the show made him out to see, uh, made him out to be. Um, but King George, man, that's exactly who I think he was. <laughs> like, um, even when Adams is elected president and that whole, that whole bit where they laugh, because Adams was a, they laughed at him. He was short. He was not one of the guys. Um, and he hated his role as vice president because he just thought it's just a title. We don't really do anything. So, so from a historical perspective, I really enjoyed enjoyed it and how you get parts of the Declaration of Independence worded throughout all the lyrics was really neat. Mm -hmm. It was really neat. So it was well, well even done. like I'm, I knew the name like the Federalist Papers, but when they were saying how that came about and how much Hamilton had to do with those, I thought that was interesting too. Yeah, and what what's interesting is the parallels between that time period and today about Hamilton did not trust media at all. I mean, this is stuff you're learning from the book, but he didn't trust the media. He ended up, um, but then he would use the media to like, he came up with a pseudonym and wrote slandering words, I believe against Jefferson and everybody's like, well, it's clearly Hamilton because he writes the same way as the Federalist. <laughs> they weren't shocked, but it's it's really neat to see that much of what we see in our country today was seen during this time period. Um, but at the same time, how they work together for the American experiment and, and making it work was just really incredible. One thing they did pick up in the play or show or musical, whatever you want to call it, that I really enjoyed about the book is Hamilton knew that Washington had to be the first president. They needed that respective figure. So Hamilton is really a behind the scenes guy much of his life. So Washington needed to be president because people will support him a hundred percent because they love him. So they support him, but Hamilton wanted him to be president for life. So he also knew that we're setting precedent for future generations. And so the things that Washington did and the things that Congress did, they're going to be doing years from now. Mm -hmm. So Hamilton was aware of that. So when Washington tells Hamilton that he's stepping down, Hamilton's like, well, you're going to mess this whole thing up. Um, but Hamilton went around and came back on it and said, this is good precedent. Did he also actually end up writing Washington's speech? I don't know. Um, I'd have to go back and look. Okay. Because that's just an interesting tidbit there. I mean, it's a, it's a great theatrical transition as Hamilton's reading the letter and then it turns into Washington reading it. Yeah. And but again, that could be a dramatic effect, or if that's what really happened. I mean, we know that Hamilton was a, a prolific writer. 
Right. Right. It, how they portrayed all the different characters based on what we know as from history, they did a great job of just Hamilton's very in the details, very much involved, wants to play a role, wants to have a seat at the table. Because uh, he comes, he, he's the American dream story, the rags to riches story. Um, and how um, Christopher Jackson, who portrayed Washington, and just very um, a powerful man, and just even his facial expressions and how he's very serious. This is a big deal. And Jefferson, I love, and I love how they snuck in that brief glimpse to Sally Hemings and Jefferson's. See, she brings him the letter from the president. I'm like, well done. Those little tidbits of history were great. Um, uh, and you, you get those different personalities that were well done. Lafayette, um, Madison, oh, very, so good. very uh, statesman. Um, so it's interesting. I think I would have enjoyed more of the, um, and it was probably about the, uh, the same, just more, and you can only do so much in two hours and 40 minutes though. Um, the relationship between Hamilton and Madison and how there was, there was much more, you see a lot of Hamilton and Jefferson in the play, but it was Hamilton and Madison. They wrote the Federalist papers together for the longest time. They were, they worked in tandem and then they had just some differenting opinions and went their separate ways. So I really enjoyed it. I, I, I plan on watching it again because it was just well done. It had my attention the whole time. Be a, a great educational tool for anybody that wants to learn about the early founding fathers. Yeah, I feel like it's rare, you know, a lot of, not even just musicals, but anything that's sort of based on a true story or based on a historical account. It seems like this show does a really good job of, of capturing the truth rather than trying to sell a product that's interesting. Just telling the actual story in an interesting way right. is, is just as effective, if not more so. Right. Yeah. Now I need Lynn Manuel to do one on Ron Chernow's book on grants, and I will, I, I will be, I will go and watch that one live, <laughs> ten years from now, because um, all the books I've read by Ron Chernow, Hamilton, Washington, Grant, have just been incredible. So um, definitely read the book or listen to it, and you'll get more of that that backstory. Um, and if you haven't watched the the show, it's on Disney Plus. And do they give you a free trial? I don't know. Take the free trial and just watch it if you get a free trial. But you'll learn a lot. So, um, or you know, call a friend because you can have lots of different accounts on Disney Plus. Very true. <laughs> very true. So this this podcast also is not sponsored by Disney Plus. That's for sure. So. No. Well, thanks for listening to our conversation on Hamilton. Um, we'll have links to Ron Chernow's book in uh, the show notes. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Convos podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on 
iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast platform. If you have a conversation suggestion that you want me or Ben or someone else to talk about, let us know by going to the convospodcast.com. And we'll see you next week as we continue having conversations on a variety of subjects. Thanks for listening.